from St. Luke's Gospel, Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How y'all doing? So uh, I've always been fascinated, by, well, I'm fascinated by lots of different things, um, but I've always been fascinated by what motivates people to do what they do. And the reason being, part of it is because what motivates you to do what you do is usually something that you value, that you strive for. What motivates you to do what you do, boy, I said that five times fast, <laughs> what motivates you to do what you do tells you a lot about the things that you hold valuable in your heart. And in fact, um, you may not know this, but when I, I went to graduate school to get a PhD in industrial psychology, which I did not finish, but I did complete my master's degree, and my master's thesis was on an aspect of motivation and work behavior. So motives, human motives, have always fascinated me, and I've got a funny story to make an illustration. It's a funny news story that wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was, and here goes. Uh, I was back at New Jersey. 10 years ago when I was the rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, and there was a, a TV news program about a, a home in the city where they would bring in these kids that were sort of struggling and having discipline problems. They would bring these kids into this program, and they would bring these animals. They'd bring dogs and cats and birds and all sorts of different things. I think they'd probably call them... Uh, uh, therapy dogs or therapy animals today, but we didn't call them that back then. But they would bring all these animals in, and these kids would become acclimated to these pets and become and learn compassion. And so they had a, one kid, his name was James, maybe nine years old, and the camera showed James, one of the young men in this program, uh, to be rehabilitated, if you will. And here's James with a dog in his lap petting the dog, caressing him, very calm, and at peace. James, not the dog. Uh, caressing the dog and at peace. And the, uh, all the animal lovers were just gaga over this. And everybody thought, boy, isn't that just cute? What a great thing for a little boy to have a dog. How awesome is that? And so the camera guy, <laughs> sensing an opportunity for either uh, to pitch this cause or maybe animal rights or whatever, the, uh, the, the camera guy sees the opportunity, and here's James petting his dog, and he leans forward with the microphone, and he said, so James, tell me what you want to be when you grow up. Dog trainer, therapist, lover of people. So James, tell me what you want to be when you grow up. And he puts the microphone down in, James's, in front of James's mouth. James stops what he's doing, turns around at the camera and says, rich. <laughs> Not a volunteer, rich. James, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be rich. Nine years old. And you know, the fact is, the reason I remember that is because, man, it's like it's so, so honest and sincere. And quite frankly, I think for most people, that's probably true that we grow up and what they want to do is they want to be rich. Wealth is a human, universal human motivator. Our entire culture, our entire world, our entire species, all humanity from the beginning of time has been obsessed with the acquisition of wealth in all of its swarms, land, gold, 
women, armies, whatever, we've always been obsessed with the acquisition of wealth. Even entire civilizations like the Aztecs no longer exist. Why? Because people decided to kill them to take their wealth. My point being this simple and profound thing. All human cultures, all human hearts, including yours, have always wanted to acquire wealth. Here's the question. Have you ever wondered why? It is a universal human need, a un universal human desire to have wealth, which means there must be a universal human cause. So look at that today. Three points. Why do we desire wealth? This may surprise you. Why does Jesus warn us so strongly about wealth? And then finally, what does the Bible offer us as a solution? So three points. You should be used to this by now. Three points. <laughs> Why do we desire wealth? Why does Jesus warn us so strongly about it? And what are some of the biblical solutions to that problem? So first, the first point, and it's a biggie, is why do we desire wealth? Why are we after it? Well, most people, if you ask them, if you were to ask somebody this question, why do you desire wealth? They'd probably say, pay the bills, right? Buy clothes for the kids for school or pay for college tuition or buy a boat or pay off your student loan debt or whatever, right? Fill in the blank, man. You've all got bills. Me too. Most people, if you ask them, would default to what, I, what I've called a functional view of wealth. In other words, most people think that what we really want money for is so that we can buy things. We can purchase stuff that we need, like food for the kids, or, or shoes, or, you know, betta fish food for Mr. Mr. Bubbles, my betta fish on the counter. We all need to buy stuff. That's what most people think of for money. But let me ask you a question. Is that the only reason? I mean, do you really think James, the nine-year-old boy, hey, James, what do you want to be? I want to be rich. Do you really think James is worried about paying his mortgage or buying health insurance or putting money away for and his 429? No, James is not thinking, James is not assuming a functional view of money at all. What exactly is he doing? There's more to it, you see. This love of wealth is not just to pay the bills. There's something deeper. And that's exactly what Jesus is after. Listen to what he says today. Most people hear this text as judgmental. It's not in the least. Let me read it to you again. Jesus says in verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. I'm going to read that again. There's two things he says to do. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. That word for take care, the English translation there is really weak. The Greek word there is the word horo, horeo, actually. And it means... Be careful. Listen. Pay attention. Look out. Give me an example. Say you're driving along, right? And you're driving in the car and you're late for a lunch appointment and you see a person holding up a sign. And the sign says, danger, bridge out. What is, person's not, the person is not judging you. The person is giving you a warning. Be careful. There's a bridge out and you're headed for it. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
Be careful with your heart. Be careful because all human hearts, theirs and yours, are wired to love and crave wealth. And Jesus warns us about it because it's a trap. It's a snare and it can't satisfy. Let me give you an example. A great illustration comes out the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. And Ecclesiastes is about a guy named Koholeth. Koholeth is an older man. He has lit, looks back on his life now that he is close to the end of it, how he worked hard, how he struggled to be the best he could be, a man who was, was unmatched in influence and power and greatness. And it occurs to Koholeth at the end of his life that all of his work had been a colossal waste of time. If you know Ecclesiastes, there's a repeated refrain over and over again. Ecclesiastes chased the same things that y'all chase and that people have always chased, money, sex, and power, pretty much in different forms, right? Ecclesiastes, man, he tried it all. And every single time, Koholeth says the following refrain, and you may know it, and this is where it comes from. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity and a chasing after the wind. You ever chase the wind? You ever chase it? Think about it. You chase the wind. You chase it and you grab it. Do you ever actually catch it? The imagery here for Koholis is he looks back on his life and he sees that everything he'd done, as hard as he had tried, was a waste of time. He had, now listen, Koholith had enough money to pay the bills. But see, the problem with Koholith and his life and his looking back and seeing the futility of wealth and chasing after the wind is not a functional reason, but listen. He is realizing that wealth and achieving it did not satisfy him. See, most of us think of wealth in functional terms. That's not true. That is not true. The real reason the human heart strives for money is not to pay the bills, but listen, to have a sense of purpose and meaning and to establish our own measure of worth and greatness. But it's a lie, you see. Tim Keller, in his famous book, Counterfeit Gods, nails this very point. The opening chapter of that book, which is an awesome book, by the way, he says, he looks, Keller reflects back on 2008 when the stock market crashed and all these people that had made millions and millions of dollars in the stock market committed suicide. Well, it wasn't for functional reasons. It wasn't because they ran out of all their money. They still had some. The reason they did it was because their whole self-worth had been destroyed. What the thing they had used to measure their value as a person was removed. Life was not worth living. That's the snare. That's the danger. That's why Jesus warns us, point two, about wealth. Look again at what he says. In our gospel, Jesus says, Take care, be on guard against all covetousness. The Greek, the Greek word there is sometimes translated as greed. Jesus says, watch out for greed. Jesus warns you and me to search our hearts, to be vigilant for greed, for covetousness. Now, I will tell you this, friends, as a priest, I've been a priest for almost 17 years this year. I've heard it all, man. I've heard things that surprised me once, not anymore, but 
People have said to me, have uh, confessed to me, abortion, adultery, stealing, lying, theft, all sorts of things. Nobody has ever once said to me, I'm just too damn greedy. We don't want to admit it. But let me just show you something here. This word for greed, when you hear the word greed that Jesus warns us about, what we hear is, you know, people stealing money from people that don't know any better or sending out a scam, right? To send money, your friend was kidnapped in Nigeria or, you know, stealing your, uh, your uh, information from Bank of America. That's what we think of as greed, right? The unlawful stealing of someone else's material. That's not what that word means. When Jesus says, be I'll be on guard for all covetousness. The Greek word there is the word planexo. I gotta sound it out. Pleonexia. And you know what it means? It means to be discontent. This is a lot more subtle. Be on guard, he says, against all discontentedness. See, greed and the, the love of money is not functional. It's because you and I and our hearts are fundamentally discontent. Friends, money is like an addiction. An addict is somebody, if you know anybody who struggles with addiction, and some of you do, money is an addiction is something where a person has something which initially makes you feel pretty good. But then you need more and more and more for a diminishing return on the initial hit. And it can be anything, drugs, sex, video games, alcohol, money, wealth. Something which initially gives us pleasure, gives us a high, but then we're always on, aren't we? (laughs) Always on to the next big thing. And what Jesus is telling us is be on guard, be careful, look out, because your heart is addicted to wealth. We crave it, not because we need it, but to define ourselves as great and to remove our sense of discontent. I'll never forget, I knew a guy back in New Jersey. He was a Wharton grad from University of Penn, big business school if you don't know it. He worked on Wall Street. He bought a house, right, for uh, 10 million bucks. He was very proud of himself. He'd achieved a lot until his friend, who lived a few doors down, bought a house for 12 million dollars. And he was miserable, angry, bitter. Know why? He was addicted. He defined himself by what he had. Jesus says, your life, your value does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Be careful, be careful, be careful, he says. So then what's the solution, Father? All right. Well, there's lots. There are lots of solutions here, lots of ways to keep your gut check in line with money. I'm going to give you three. The first solution to keeping a proper view of wealth and money and to keep it from being toxic in your spirit, the first solution, the biblical solution, is to tithe. Tithing is giving 10% of your income to the work of the church. You know, when someone first told me that, I thought they were crazy. I remember back, many of you know, back in the 90s before I went to seminary, I worked as an IT director. Uh, I made lots and lots of money in IT in a couple of different firms outside of Philadelphia, making lots of good coin. Life was good. I was still pretty miserable. 
But I began to meet with a, a gentleman who was my spiritual director. He's a cool guy. We got along well, and he was more mature spiritually than I was by far. And he said to me, he goes, you know, he says, you're falling for it. And I said, what do you mean, Bob? I'm not falling for anything. He says, you're falling for it. You're falling for valuing your worth and the value of other people based upon your money. I said, come on, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. I'll prove it to you. And I said, okay, go ahead. And he said, tithe. And I said, you are out of your mind. 10% of my money, forget it. But I thought about it. He was right. I was discontent. I thought about it, and I said, okay, fine. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, Bob, I'm going to take you at your word. And I started to tithe way back. I was 20 years ago, longer than that. And I've continued to tithe ever since. When the money was really, really good, when I was working outside of Philadelphia in IT, and the money was really, really bad. My second year of seminary, making $22,000 a year with a family of four and the reason I did it was because Jesus says to us something very, very profound. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will go. Think about that. Your heart will go where you put your value. Friends, tithing breaks the addiction. Tithing reorders money properly. Tithing teaches you to lean not on your wealth or your identity and your strength and your purpose, but on Jesus if you don't tithe, let me just challenge you to consider it. If you are discontent, continually wanting more, unhappy with yourself because of where you are, you're an addict. And the thing you need to do to help break that addiction is to tithe. I'm telling you that firsthand. Second solution I'm going to give you, a second a way to solve this, is to be content. Look, that word for greed there is not mean Hoarding money means to be always wanting more, never satisfied. The only antidote to discontentedness is thankfulness. When I, my kids were little, they used, to, uh, they used to watch something called the VeggieTales. Anybody know VeggieTales? Okay, there's a veggie, the VeggieTales have a great one. I forget the title of the VeggieTale, but there's a, a blueberry VeggieTale. Her name is Madam Blueberry, and Madam Blueberry is a very profound theologian. Because Madam Blueberry had a house that was in a tree. And she went to the store and she bought stuff and more stuff and more stuff at Stuff Mart, right? She bought all this stuff and filled her house with stuff. So much stuff that her house actually fell out of the tree and all of her possessions went all, spread all over the ground. And Madam Blueberry, who was discontent the whole way through, at the very end of her thing says, man, I've lost all my stuff. Now what am I going to do? And then it dawned on her. The problem wasn't the stuff. The problem was the motive behind the stuff, the discontent. And so you know what she says, Madam Blueberry, that theologian? She says, uh, a thankful heart is a happy heart. Friends, wealth is not going to give you contentedness, but being thankful will. And wealth is certainly not an indicator of your value as a human being. It doesn't tell you anything other than you're in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. Do yourself a favor and just be thankful. Be content with what you have. Make a decision today to be thankful for the things that God has placed in your life. They may not be there tomorrow. And someday, I guarantee you, they won't be. 
And finally, if, if wealth is one of the greatest addictions of the human heart, a heart that seeks meaning and purpose in life, wealth cannot deliver that, friends, but the solution, the only solution which can, is Jesus. Jesus says, uh, one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. That word life there does not mean uh, moving around. It doesn't mean su surviving. It means the life you want. It means the life of joy and peace and meaning and satisfaction. It's a Greek word. The word is zoe. And it means a life of joy. And the only way, fundamentally, you will have joy in your life if you accept the fact that you are important to Jesus that your life has cosmic significance for only one reason. And that's because God made you, and Jesus died on the cross to save you from hell, and he loves you, and that's why you matter. The greatest addiction of the human heart, wealth, friends, will never solve the discontent and the craving that's in yours. But Jesus can, and he will, if you ask him. Shall we pray, Lord God, we thank you for your word, which, man, really diagnoses the condition of our hearts. Thank you for your warning, for your concern, for your love for us, to remind us that the bridge is out and we're heading down the road fast. Remind us, Lord, we can't take it with us, but we don't have to because you and you alone are the source of our identity. Lord, give us thankful hearts, content hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.